Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at GiversEdge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Andrea Waltz. Andrea is the co-author of Go For No, a great book that's a parable about why it's so important to not be overcome with this idea of rejection when it comes to sales and business. We're going to talk about, first of all, some surprising information people may not know about her. We're going to talk about the biggest hiccup that salespeople face when it comes to sales. And we're going to talk about how we strike that balance between not being a pushy salesperson and also being persistent in pursuing opportunities. It's a really fun interview. We covered a lot of ground. Stay tuned for Andrea Waltz. Andrea Waltz, welcome to the program. Hey, Ian. It's great to be with you. I'm thrilled to have you here because I spend a lot of time talking to people about how no is not a bad word. And as you, as somebody who wrote a book called Go For No, this is going to be near and dear to you. So but before we dive into that, what's something surprising that people may not know about you? Ah, something surprising. Well, and this is, this is uh, in the About Us page of our website, so it's not super secret, but I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Um, I wanted to be a crime scene investigator before there was even any TV show that, you know, was popular about you know going to a crime scene and getting all gathering all the evidence. So, unfortunately, um, I never used that degree whatsoever. Probably to the disappointment and the chagrin of my father, who paid for my college education. Yeah, but it's worked out well because you obviously deal with a lot of salespeople. It's not too far off. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, and uh, and I can't remember his name, but it reminds me of the guy who d- does sales autot autopsies. <laughs> See that you know you you missed your calling. You could have worked with a sales autopsy person. That would have been fantastic. You're and, right. Um, you know, it's. I mean, there are some times where the way some salespeople behave, it is like going to a crime scene. So it, it seems perfectly appropriate to me that you would have followed that path. <laughs> So, Absolutely. So l- let me let me start with this. What's and obviously you work with a lot of salespeople. Um, you and your husband speak around the world on sales. What's the what's the biggest misconception or hiccup that people have in sales that you see? Well, I think for us, and it it really is because we have niched down to this one little topic and this one little message around overcoming your fear of failure and rejection. And so for us, what we see is um, just that feeding into the anxiety about picking up the phone, making calls, um, and probably what it comes down to it. And, and so there's, there's that, there's the fear aspect and all of that. And eventually, especially with your professional salespeople, you don't see that as often because let's face it, if, if you have a lot of fear around it, if you're not making calls, you're just going to either, you're going to sink or swim. And if you end up just kind of washing out, uh, then so be it. So when, when you have seasoned 
professional salespeople, that fear just tends to go away. So we see that a lot with entrepreneurs. With salespeople, though, I would say probably the biggest thing that we see and the challenge is um, really kind of making uh, assumptions about uh, clients, about buyers, about what the actions are going to be, what the outcomes are going to be. And so part of our message really is, um, and part of the go for no message as much as it is about failing your way to success and being okay with hearing no, is uh, going for and taking some risks and not making these classic assumptions, I think, that salespeople make. So give me some examples of the types of assumptions that sales professionals make that tend to limit their potential? Well, I think probably the biggest one, and we talk about this in our five failure levels in the book, Go For No, probably the biggest one is just uh, what kinds of, and from a B2B standpoint, what kinds of clients you think uh, you deserve to be going after, should be going after. Uh, we talk about going for a big no. So we, we say fail faster and fail bigger. And so the failing faster is is picking up your productivity. Um, and then the failing bigger is going after a big no. And Richard and I did this when we first started our business. One of our very first clients was JCPenney, one of the biggest retailers in, our, in, in the United States. And I think that sometimes salespeople, often they will make assumptions about you know, who, who their potential clients are and they limit themselves because they make assumptions that we can't handle the business or we're not good enough or whatever. Well, and it's it's interesting you say that because one of the one of the areas that I'm that I I think you're going is this notion that well no see I'm this junior level salesperson so I can't call that high in the organization I I'm supposed to call into this middle management level because like I, I haven't earned the right to call that higher level is that one of the areas that you see. Yeah, I would I would say absolutely. Well, there's that and there's just the um kind of the area that you pick well we we um you know uh the clients that we work with are uh, now certainly there's the sweet spot, right? If if your product and service is, is perfect and ideal for a company that's doing 5 million dollars a year in business or 5 to 10 million, then then you're going to be in that band, but I think what happens is there's just always that idea of playing it safe and oh they're too big for us we can't handle this deal and so it it really is about going after what we call the easy yeses um rather than going after some of those big no's and those big opportunities sure and and I think that this is the same sort of thing for for people who have children it's that notion of if you have a child who is let's say struggling in school one of the most common things they do is they'll, they'll they'll say, oh, well, I don't even care about that class. Well, psychologists will tell us, yeah, they do care about that class, but they're making an excuse so that if they fail, it isn't really failure, they weren't trying. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes with salespeople, it's the same thing, which is because they're so driven around success and competition, look, I'd rather have 10 little successes than three failures. So um, I, I don't want to try that. And one of the things I often tell people is, look, you want to call as high in the organization as you humanly can because generally if you make if you make a good argument to that person they'll direct you to somebody else and when you tell that person that the COO or CEO referred you to them they're going to pick up the phone they're going to take your call yeah, absolutely. And it's going to end up I mean especially if you're dealing with a smaller company it's going to end up on that person's desk anyway. 
And so it would, it is great to kind of, um, I, I, I totally agree with you. Start at the top. I, I love that philosophy. And, um, and I think the other thing that we see a lot of in addition to, uh, this idea of making assumptions is also, um, quite frankly, it's, uh, it kind of goes back to this idea of fear. Um, and it's not necessarily just fear of making cold calls, but a lot of it is about fear of looking, um, like, people are looking like you're being that pestery, um, pestering, aggressive, pushy salesperson. Um, and so I see lately uh, a lot of hesitancy around just the idea of follow-up, which is a go-for-no philosophy strategy as well. And so this idea of following up with people who have told you no, going back to the people who have said, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not really interested right now, or I'm too busy to talk to you right now. And so follow-up just is this constant uh, pebble in our shoe. And we talk about this in every presentation we do because it's so huge. So how do you strike that balance between this go-for-no philosophy and not being the stereotypical, annoying, pushy salesperson? That is a great question. And what we like to say is that, you know, that stereotypical, sleazy, pushy, aggressive salesperson is actually the go-for-yes salesperson. It is the salesperson who's like, what do I have to do to get you into the car today? You know? <laughs> uh, well, first you have or, to open the door. Now, go yeah, ahead. <laughs> exactly. Um, you have to magically change it into black from white. I mean, it's like um, they, you hear these crazy things and they're so ridiculous. That's the pushy salesperson who's going to do whatever it takes and pressure you um, from a go for no standpoint in our mind it is a, a no is a perfectly acceptable answer um, it really is a launching point uh, to begin a conversation anew to figure out a new to kind of pivot and figure out a new way in fact even I think in your book you mentioned um, kind of a, a three-tiered scenario and the um, second one was you know a company says oh you you um, you didn't get the deal you you were second you were a second choice but we passed and we'll follow up with you later or um, a, just a straight up no which would be better and I I loved it because you guys made the case um, in your book that the straight up no is better because getting that quick no is actually um, a, a better thing from not only, I think, just a time management standpoint, but if you want to try to manage that objection, now you have somewhere to go um, rather than just being kind of left as, oh, you weren't our choice and we're going to we're going to work with this supplier for three years. So you know, call me three years from now type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right? And it's not necessarily a bad thing to get. I mean, it's one of the great misconceptions. I always laugh when someone comes to me and they say, man, our sales team is amazing because any deal we don't win, we're like right there in second place. And I just, you know, hold my head in my hands. I'm like, okay, so what place do you think you come in to have spent the most money possible without winning? And usually the entrepreneur or CEO looks at me and goes, oh, second place. Exactly. So you either want to fail big early or you want to win, but you either want to be not in the mix or you want to be the person who won and not much in between because it's kind of like at that point, it's like you know playing cards. The person who folds early is the second best off in the hand. And that's what we want to get to is that notion of not not wasting time. And that's why no isn't necessarily a bad answer. 
Exactly. And so that pushy, aggressive salesperson is the one who pressures you to get yes. The the, the go for no salesperson in our model is um, somebody who does a lot of uh, good qualifying, you know, qualifying of, of great prospects, not being afraid to rule someone out because, um, hey, they're just they're not a qualified prospect. So um, that is is a go for no philosophy and then once you're talking with that that qualified prospect it's about you know finding out as quickly as possible um their answer to kind of each step of the process and being okay with no throughout that process. And then especially if it is a timing issue or it is a um, issue where there's multiple decision makers involved and you've got to, you, you, you don't want to waste your time maybe meeting with one person at a time. You need to sit down with everybody. So you got to be okay with saying, no, we're, Let's let's wait on this and let's let's get everybody together. Um, and I think sometimes salespeople can bend over backwards and do things that aren't right in the process because they don't want to hear that no. They, you know, what I'm saying. And so that's great insight. It's 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 great insight because one of the things there's there's a couple things that this is that this is getting me to think about. First is I had Mark Bowden on the show recently, and I don't know if you know Mark is, but Mark is like the expert on body language and communication. He's written three best-selling books on on body language and communication. The guy coaches world leaders, like, you know, heads of state on how to communicate and pick up on cues and how you can convey different messages. And one of the things that Mark said in, in our discussion was he said, look, if you come across looking and acting like a salesperson – then the customer says, well, this person's a stereotypical salesperson, and I've been trained that when I'm in front of a stereotypical salesperson, that person who's going for yes, I shut down, I don't give honest answers, and I protect my information. If you start asking questions like somebody who is skeptical about whether or not this project is even worth pursuing, then you look more like one of their internal project managers. Well, they're internal people. Of course, you share information with them. And if you're trying to kind of determine if this is worth pursuing or not, well, that's a good, honest conversation to have. So the notion of the pushy salesperson becomes the the, the stereotype, like becomes reality because the customer shuts down from those people. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I love that. I mean, and that makes so much sense. And that's exactly where we're coming from, um, from kind of a mental standpoint. Now, so all of that said, though, at the end of the day, you still have those situations where you have somebody who's a great qualified prospect, and they've told you no. And so now you are in a situation where it's okay, you want to follow up with this prospect or not. And a good go for no salesperson, absolutely. And our key, our our big action item for salespeople is always to buy that permission and buy that permission in advance and make it a simple, easy decision. So it's, uh, you know, I totally understand what's going on. Um, hey, let's do this. You mind if I circle back with you in eight weeks when all of the stuff that you've got going on has settled, I, you know, um, you don't have to go into a long speech. You don't have to go into a long thing. It's just buy that permission to do that follow-up and then keep your word and follow-up um, because that too says something about your ability to service your clients. If you just let that follow-up go, 
um, then it, it do, that doesn't look good either. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I, I love the way you say that because you're you're getting that permission in advance at that time. So, for example, a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are going to be in a scenario where, gee, I talked to this client. They said, no, we're actually going to stick with our existing vendor because even though they messed up before, we're convinced that now they got that fixed, they're going to do a great job. And we say, okay, fantastic. And instead of walking out of the room at that point, in in the model that you're talking about, at, at the most basic level, you say, okay, well, what I'd love to do is, why don't I follow up with you in two months? And just to make sure and confirm that things are going great. And if they are, then you're in good hands. And if not, we at least know that we have a call in a couple months in case something changes. Absolutely. And I love that. And it's such a perfect scenario. And I think a lot of um, salespeople, and this goes back to um, the things that we see again, Ian, you know, that making of assumptions of, oh, no, they're they're totally happy and they're in love with their supplier um, and they're going to hate me and think I'm being pushy. And also um, just the the desire to not have to do those follow up phone calls. And I think I think salespeople a lot of times think they're a waste of time and all that. Well, that you know, it really turns invested time, all of your invested time into profitable time if you can make one out of those 10 or one out of 20 deals pay off. So if you can buy that permission in advance, absolutely, because things do change. And um, I think that if you do it in a respectful way, you don't do it. It's not like, hey, let me call you next week and see if if, if your supplier has screwed you over yet. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's no, I'll, I'll wait. I'll give you a couple months. And I think oftentimes because we've all been there, we've all had um, vendors and people that we've worked with, and then you, you're you're struggling and struggling, and then finally the pain is great enough that you do want to make a change. Well, if this person is staying in regular enough contact with you, it, it'll make it so easy for you to just jump ship and go like, you know what? Yes, I'm. It's it, the answer is yes. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I, I love how in, in Go for No you've got this one example of the insurance salesperson. Who you know they they knock on they knock on everybody's door and say you don't need insurance do you and you know and what is it fifty eight of the sixty people say no but the two say yes and they realize wow I can call on sixty doors that way in a day as opposed to wow if I'm saying if I'm going there trying to convince sixty people that they need this stuff it would take me a month. Yes, and that you bring up, right? You bring up one of the the hottest topics in selling, I think, is this whole, um, and Richard and I, we get a kick out of the discussions, uh, this idea of quantity versus quality. And um, from a go for no standpoint, obviously, um, it, it is a numbers game f- strategy at its most basic. If somebody said, you know, to me, what does go for no mean? I would say it means to intentionally increase your failure rate or the number of times you're hearing no, so that you also therefore increase the number of times you're hearing yes. That is the basic philosophy. Now, to do that without paying any attention to to improving your presentation or the quality of your presentation would be like the definition of insanity, right? You're just doing the same presentation over and over and over again, and you don't care, and you're just beating your head against the wall. Um, That example of the insurance insurance company and just asking the same question over and over is just a great illustration, though, that if you can get your numbers up – oftentimes the sales are there. And then if you can marry some quality with that, um, you really have a recipe for success. What we have seen though, and this especially with entrepreneurs is they're, they're 
quantity is, of calls is often so low that we don't even have a chance to deal with some quality aspects. You're not even dealing with how to better close the sale because you don't even get there. Well, it, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that I looked at in, in the, lens, the lens through which I saw go for no was this, was, look, it's not just a strategy around a numbers game. What you're saying is that, look, if you know that when you call on – if it takes you – 10 appointments to get one deal, then that also tells you that if you haven't gotten nine no's, you probably haven't gotten your one yes. So you can't just say, well, I called three people and I got nothing coming from it, so I don't want to call the next people because, look, statistically, you haven't called enough people to get that yes, so it's okay, and you actually have permission. You haven't failed. You're just in the middle of a formula, and you haven't reached it yet. So that level makes, you know, to me, I can say, look, it's not, it's not a quantity play it's just a humility and reality play. Like if you're not calling people, like I always tell people, look, I'm less concerned with you measuring activity and quantity unless you're talking to so few people that we don't have enough information and you're not having enough effort. Like, you know, if you're just talking to yourself, unless you're buying your own product, you're not going to make a lot of sales. So that doesn't work well. The the area that where, where I saw this kind of combined together is the notion of if I can think of criteria, so I say, look, here are the parameters that if these conditions exist, this is someone who's a good potential client for us. Now, my job when I reach out to people is as quickly as possible, see if those conditions exist for that client. If they don't, it's a no, and I've saved myself a lot of time. If they do have those conditions, then I have somebody worth talking to, and that no just saved me from a sinkhole of time. Yes, and I love that. <laughs> sinkhole of time, absolutely. Uh, I think that sometimes if you are so desperate to get that yes and you're not paying attention to those parameters, like you say, those conditions, um, and that goes to why the qualification is so important, right? I mean, you can just um, – you, you can't fit a round square peg in a round hole, whatever the saying is, um, by forcing somebody to buy what they will not buy, they do not need. Uh, so if you can get those commission, those conditions figured out and get that quick no, you are so much better off so that you can find that perfect prospect who you will sink a lot of time into. Sure. I'm, I'm always amazed when I ask people, uh, I'll ask, and it could be a VP of sales, it could be the CEO, it could be the top salesperson. And the funny part is I'll say, so what are the conditions that are present for someone who's your ideal customer? And they'll often say, well, it's someone who wants to buy what we're selling. No. <laughs> like Because those people actually don't exist. So there's no one sitting around saying, wow, I wish I could buy X and you show up. That's like happenstance you got lucky. What are the conditions, in essence, like what what symptoms do they have where they would need your stuff? And by the way, what are the conditions where they wouldn't be a good fit? In fact, for one of my clients, they've got a huge account they're working with, and by by you know compared to other vendors in their space, my client is about half the size of the other vendors. And I said, well, why wouldn't the client do business with you? And he says, well. I mean, the only reason is that they weren't comfortable with an, with an organization our size. And I said, okay, then here's my approach. Once, the, once the, they're comfortable that you're smart people and that you're capable, you're going to ask them, look, I just want to be clear. 
we're not the biggest vendor in this space. Is that going to prevent you from being comfortable to work with us? I said, and then I want you to just shut up and let the client either say, yeah, that's going to be a problem or no, that's not an issue at all because they're going to find out anyhow. So you may as well find out and go for no early. And if they say, oh, that's not a problem, now they're kind of on the hook and you got a pretty good chance. I love that. And that makes so that is exactly what we're talking about here. And that takes a certain amount of courage to do. And I've seen stories, I've heard horror stories where those issues are not dealt with because the salesperson and the sales manager, they don't want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> so they'll just kind of skate by that and not get and and not and that's that's one more kind of tie down, if you will, um, so that that you're moving the sale towards that close, right? It's your your it's that preemptive strike to a possible objection down the road. So why don't we get this on the table now, as opposed to another two weeks working on this deal, and then we find out that's the thing that's that's the only thing that's the big issue, and we could have learned that so much earlier. Yeah, or another another six months, like. Um, uh, my my favorite is people who are government contractors, and I'll and I'll say, okay, so you guys are a big company. Have you checked with the client to make sure this isn't a small business set aside? Well, I mean, we don't want it to become an issue. I said, okay, if it is, then they can't award this to you. So, mm-hmm. do you want to find that out now or in six months? And it's almost like. The real answer is, well, I just assume pretend it's a real opportunity for the next six months. <laughs> yes. And and so you see that sometimes when you're looking at, uh, you know, a list of opportunities and they're really not opportunities. There's probably a lot of stuff that you don't know. And that's why the disqualification, the the getting those, you know, asking those questions and getting those no's up front um, will save you a lot of time. And so we, you know, we make a game of it. We talk about this and go for no in the book. And we talk about setting no goals. You know, how many no's can you get? And it can be um, in one conversation. It can be if, if it's somebody literally making call, you know, cold calls on the phone. How many no's can you get in an hour? I mean, all of that is part of a way to get people into action and to to kind of reprogram how they're thinking about it so they can start doing it and putting it into action. So, so it's a great segue because I want to make sure that people have, like they know exactly what they should start with. So if there's one piece of advice you had for people, and if you want to have multiple parts to it, feel free. Um, we're an equal opportunity show here, so you can share as many ideas as you like. But what's the best way for people to get started if they want to put this go for no principle into practice? It's a great question. It's kind of, I think, a two-pronged approach. I would say the first thing is really to reframe. um, In the beginning of the book, we talk about the the, uh, two models for failure and success. And as weird and as that may sound as kind of off the wall, it's really important to understand the the nuances and how I think a lot of people... uh, feel the need 
to be perfect, to not fail, to not hear a no. And what we're saying is that the failure, rejection, and and the no's really are what make you such a great salesperson in the end to move through that and to learn and get better and better and better because it's how you improve. So it's really about reframing how you perceive failure and success. And then the second thing really is to create a no awareness. Um, it's not a, something we specifically talk about in the book, but we, we always say, you know, if you're, um, if you are not hearing no ever, um, then you're, you're probably just kind of maybe order taking, picking, you know, getting the easy yeses, the low hanging fruit, um, and so it really is about going out and intentionally trying to hear a no, uh, whether it's one a day or 10 a week, and making that a goal for you. Um, it's really interesting, the opportunities that open up when you try it. That's fantastic. I love it. So I, I guarantee there's people sitting there right now thinking, well, so how do I learn more from Andrea? How do I get more of a sense of what they do? What's the best way for people to find you online? It's gofornode.com and we've got our, uh, and it's spelled out the words G-O-F-O-R-N-O.com. We've got a fun no quotient assessment, a 20 question quiz so people can come and find out where they are in their thinking about failure, success and rejection. Uh, it's not scientific by any means, but it is a fun little quiz. And then we've got videos and blogs and plenty of stuff for people to read to kind of get the idea of the philosophy. Outstanding. Well, Andrea, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. It's been a blast, and I have a feeling we'll have you back again. Thank you so much. Lots of fun. Andrea shared some great information. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what I think are the big takeaways you can use in your business right away. First, make sure that you reframe the notion of perfection and so that getting a no is actually a good thing. It's okay to reach closure with your client. So you want to make sure that you're positioning it that way. Also, there's a big difference between being a pesky person who's constantly trying to pursue the client to no end versus getting permission in advance to come back to them to see if things have changed. There's a lot of great information. My guess is I'll be listening to this episode again. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Thanks again so much for subscribing and for sharing this information with other people. Um, It really makes a big difference in how we can impact others. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.